We were facing a full-scale war underneath the surface of Coruscant. Knowing of his expertise on the underworld, I contacted Master Sifo-Dyas to stabilize the problem. Know of this. The Jedi Council did not. The Senate committee assigned to the matter feared that open discussions with such a criminal element could legitimize their activities and give strength to opposition leaders within the bureaucracy. Secrecy was our only choice. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothership. Playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. Uh, <clears throat> professional movie crier. Uh, there you go. I'm, I'm going with politician. Yeah, I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but at least I'm not a criminal. Could be my campaign slogan. That has bumper sticker written all over it. I'll have to get a car. <laughs> 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 Friends, we are joined today by personality typing master, T.J. Wilson. This guy. T.J. is my partner in crime on the Around the Circle podcast, and he is an expert in all things human motivation, and he is the biggest fan I know of one Chief Palpatine. Okay, I'll take that. I love Chief Palpatine. We're going to do a deep dive. It needs to happen. Bring in some villains into this sucker. Absolutely. T.J. What's up? You actually binged The Clone Wars for the first time last year. I did, yeah. So we've talked about this a handful of times with Mothershed. Mothershed's going to be going through the binge alongside our listeners. Correct. Okay, nice. Big picture. What, what were some big takeaways for you in terms of uh, going through all that? Uh, number one. So everyone remember how uh, it, it was clear from from before my birth it was clear that they did not understand how not important, but how valuable of a character they had in Boba Fett ah. in the same way. It was clear that it, they did not know at first how important Ahsoka Tano was going to be. Yep. And I'm glad that they started to figure that out by the end of the, the whole thing. Yep. Cause like she, she's the one that holds the whole series together for me all the way through in, in Rebels, she's kind of spotty in Rebels, and yet still yep. backbone. Yep, she's the important one. I watched, I finished Rebels because I want more of her story. Mm. So well, apparently you're going to get some. Well, we are on episode 10 of The Binge, and as I hinted at last time, we're going to pull one of the last episodes from The Clone Wars forward. So we are looking at season six, episode 10. This is the episode called The Lost One. This episode is going to give us some much-needed exposition and character introductions for our binge. We need to ask the question, are the Jedi reliable? We need to see some of the conflict that is going on within Anakin that is going to be central to our discussions throughout the binge, and we need to unveil the principal villain. None of that happens in terms of how they constructed the, the Clone Wars animated series, but for us, especially since we're cutting two-thirds of the episodes, it's going to be important for us to set up those sorts of things so we can talk about them. One of the things I really enjoyed about Game of Thrones is that they introduced the White Walkers in the very first episode, very first scene. 
and then you don't see them for many seasons. They're kind of just behind the scene. You're kind of, you know there's a threat out there, but you're not really aware of it. And I want that feeling for us in the binge with Palpatine. We know there's something big and dastardly out there pulling strings that's a legitimate threat, but we will only see some of the evidences in limited amounts. In this episode, we get to see Darth Sidious for the first time chronologically. We we see him when we did our preface with the, the Siege of Mandalore. We got to see Sidious in hologram form. And here we're going to see him again in hologram form. But we're going to get to see more of his power, more of his influence, and how he is pulling the strings. This is a villain introduction. And sometimes you need great introductions to villains to get things moving. You guys... In terms of villains, there's lots of great villains out there. TJ and I have a whole podcast this year about <laughs> about villains. We have hours um, and hours and hours of villains conversations. So listen to that now. We'll wait. <laughs> Do you have a favorite introduction to a movie villain, to a, fi- a villain on film? So uh, I talk a lot about uh, my, probably one of my all-time favorite villains is uh, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. And her introduction in in the movie Sleeping Beauty is 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 so interesting to me and it I realized I because I went and watched it today just to like make sure I remember it correctly. <laughs> and and it sets up something that I think that we that everyone sort of ignores when you think about Maleficent as a villain. Like the first thing that she says is you're having this party and I didn't get an invitation. You weren't wanted. Not what Oh dear, what an awkward situation. I had hoped it was merely due to some oversight. Well, in that event, I'd best be on my way. That's what she's mad about. If she had invi- if she had been invited, the curse might never have happened. They were just rude to her. The writer so. is reliving their third grade trauma through this <laughs> villain. Right. Yeah. So it's one of my favorites. She just shows up in the middle of this great hall. I love it. That's a good one. Really, the thing with most villains is they are mad that somebody was rude to them. And in their mind, that justifies just murder. It's like, you know, if you had just said hi to me when you saw me at the grocery store, I wouldn't be killing your family. But now here we are. Goes to show you. Make sure you say hi to future murderers. (laughs) Who's the the actor that does uh, The Waterboy? Adam Sandler? He has a movie in which he is, he calls around and apologizes to people, and one of them is a, is a like a serial killer that decides to scratch him off oh, the list. Oh yeah, it's, was and that Steve in? Buscemi is the one the... who crosses his name off the list. I just yeah. I just can't. Is it Mr. Deeds? Billy Madison? Yeah, it's Billy Madison. Shampoo is better. I go on first and clean the hair. <laughs> anyway, the idea the idea that you're calling around and that you apologize and one of the guys you apologize to is actually has a hit list sitting by his phone. He's like, I guess I'll leave Billy off the the list. That's <laughs> that's hilarious. That's maleficent, apparently. <laughs> what you say there, Mother Shed, on your villains? I'm gonna do two one that i think is one of the best of all time and one that just for me like nostalgically is one of my favorites i think i've said this on this podcast before my my favorite movie is silence of the lambs Mm -hmm. and hannibal hannibal lecter's introduction even though he's not the primary villain in that movie he's it's still the best introduction of somebody who goes on to be a villain because you spend 10 minutes setting this guy up as being 
essentially an animal telling her to be careful, telling her to, you know, all these things you should not do. You're about to meet this crazy, dangerous person. And by the time she finally gets up to him, the camera from her perspective pans over to where, and he's just standing there completely calm. And all he says is, good morning. Tells you everything you need to know about him as a villain right there. He's like a cat. Mm. He's just calm until he, until he's doing something insane. And my second one is uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker in in the 1989 Batman when when the elevator door opens and he's completely in shadow, mm-hmm. screaming at uh, at uh, Jack Palance before he kills him. That plays in my head so often. Of all things, mine was also going to be the Joker, but a different Joker. Cesar Romero, I, right? <laughs> With the mustache, <laughs> just put the makeup on top of my mustache. I don't want to shave the mustache. Because, and his his justification <laughs> for that was apparently he thought that mustache was what gave him his career, so he refused to shave it. That's awesome. And we remember him. We remember him for the Joker. <laughs> and he's he's a great Joker, but you know he is a great Joker. I'm a huge fan of heist movies and uh, the intro to The Dark Knight, especially at the time, that uh, introduction of the Joker with how the the robbery takes place and him pulling off the mask. I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Just gold. How do you come on screen? Well, that's what we're going to do with one Darth Sidious this time. I learned a ton about Darth Sidious in the prep for this that I didn't know. I'm excited to, to pitch some stuff your way. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys want to get into this? Let's do it. Yep. The proverb this time is, what is lost is often found. That feels like a Jesus-y way to set this episode in motion. Sure. It's funny, we, we joked about uh, me living in Chicago, which is a politically corrupt city, to me, and then going on to watch this episode, I thought it was really interesting because it's it, what, what what is lost will be found, n- not only physically maybe a person, but also the idea that you can bury stuff as much as you want, and it will always come to the surface when you're in a urban setting, position of power. I I always kind of glaze over with the proverbs, but we've had some great discussions on the proverbs. Um, Daniel's brought out a lot of the color here. That our first one, like the first thing I wrote down when I watched the episode, was like, "Oh my god, this is this is so good." That's what my soul craved. Well, the narrator jumps in and he says, "A long-awaited truth: a distress signal has been received at the Jedi Temple, and Master Plo Koon has been dispatched to investigate its origin." By the way. I didn't catch this. Does anyone know where the distress signal came from? I, I couldn't figure that out. Shows up. Yep. Well, there you go. It's like uh, <laughs> the computer. Kind of, it's the rat in yeah, Avengers, Avengers yeah. Endgame <laughs> that just stumbles <laughs> upon the button. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Avengers that saved the world. It was that rat. I mean, they are owned by Disney. It's a Mickey Mouse to the rescue. There's going to actually be a lot of Avengers in this episode I wanted to bring up. Well, this, the narrator continues. The signal is from a ship thought to be lost and was last known to be in the possession of a Jedi Master who was killed long ago. We see a single shot inside a military base. As opposed to a lot of these opening montages, it's just showing one person in this large warehouse of military transportation vehicles. There's like 10 of these things, and we see General Plo Koon walking down the middle, Soldiers at attention, visually stunning character, I think. 
worth just spending two minutes on this this guy. Not sure if you guys have thoughts on him, but he is actually Dave Filoni's favorite character. Dave Filoni's mm-hmm. office is decked out in Plo Koon stuff. Apparently, before he got the Clone Wars gig, he went to Revenge of the Sith dressed in his own Plo Koon cosplay. And he's got that sucker. He's got his whole outfit, you know, uh, on a display in his office. He's got like autographs and lightsabers and original heads. And I thought that was interesting. That that is interesting. Is Rosario Dawson going to play him <laughs> in in uh, in the Mandalorian as well? <laughs> well, he's not only stable. He's a wise character. He's one of those characters that seems to me to be the Jedi at their best. But he's the character who ends up discovering Ahsoka Tano. I did actually know that. Did either of you see the artwork for this? There's there's real famous artwork of Plo Koon kneeling down and his hand is out to a baby Ahsoka. I, Have you seen this, this morning? I was I was doing my I had watched the episode twice yesterday and then did some some research this morning and it that was the first thing I saw uh-huh. and it's a it's a fascinating like it's a great picture that it's juxtaposed with Ahsoka and uh, Grogu. Yeah, yeah. So, TJ, there's one of those memes that went all over t- Twitter of the artwork that they're using for The Mandalorian has Ahsoka kneeling down to Grogu in a very affectionate kind of uh, parental teacherish kind of posture. Sure. But it mirrors an image of Plo Koon that was used in The Clone Wars nice. of the adoption of Ahsoka. And eh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good kind of... Setting in motion. What's going on here? Yeah. Any reflections on this character? He always seems to me like, uh, like he said, the Jedi at their best. Like you think of Yoda as this particular like guru type of character. We have this whole perspective on on Obi Wan, but we don't we don't get a ton from a lot of the other Jedi Council. Like we have the guy with the big head uh, who seems like like he's a he's a thinker. And then we have Samuel L. Jackson, who's like, this is a guy who wants to go into action because Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, but then Plo Koon seems seems a lot like the type of character who is willing to to think while acting. Mm. And and yeah, Jedi at their best. Like I would believe that not many characters know much about him except for what he does because mm. he just seems like, okay, we're gonna do these things, wise, but also like put his his thoughts into action quickly yeah any thoughts on that dan to piggyback off of what tj said because i'm watching this along with our audience i'm really only familiar with him from the prequel films and and now this episode yeah i guess that's true and the one of the only things i really wrote down observationally about him in this episode he's the only jedi we've seen so far in the binge that that isn't making kind of weird, like passive aggressive comments towards other people, isn't overly arrogant about their own abilities, um, isn't putting somebody else's Padawan down in the in the praising of their own. He's the only one who really seems to just show up and do the work. Yeah. That's a great reflection. The humility of this character versus everyone else is is solid. And that's again Jedi at their best coming out here. Mm-hmm. I th- I thought you were going to say in terms of his uniqueness is he's the only Jedi that I can think of that has to use machinery to live. Mm. Now, that wouldn't be a big thing in any other universe, but in Star Wars that matters. Darth Vader is that character, Grievous is that character, the terrorist in uh Rogue One is that character. He has a breathing apparatus that he has to use. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Saul Guerrero. Yeah. Fun fact, they use the Darth Vader breathing noise for him because there's there's some of that going on. 
for Plo Koon, he's he's an, he's part of an alien species that doesn't breathe oxygen, and so both his eyewear and the thing on his face end up being just necessities for him to survive in in oxygenated environments. Oxygen is apparently poisonous to him because the atmosphere on his planet Doran is made up of Doran mm-hmm. gas and helium. And he's got a really deep voice, which was like... <laughs> if you're oh. on that planet and they're not wearing the breathing apparatuses, right. does everybody have the most high-pitched, hilarious voices? <laughs> it's just artwork. If you take the mask off, he looks... He's got a lot of Predator influence going on. They got like the mandibles, the four mandibles coming out. Oh, really? I have big, a big gaping mouth. As Samuel Jackson would say, one ugly... Mo- oh, no, that's Carl Weathers, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah. both of whom are part of the Star Wars universe, so it still technically works. It's true. It works. Apparently, when they first designed this character, there was a lot of Kurosawa influence. Have you, have either of you seen Seven Samurai or I've seen clips of it. Yojimbo, right? I need to go back before we get too far. I need to go and and watch those movies. But apparently, they they essentially based his character off one of the primary characters from a Kurosawa film. And then when Filoni took over, he looked at the character and reimagined him as a Gandalf character. And I keep mentioning Gandalf in the in the binge, but this was this was what the voice actor was told: is this is the Gandalf character in this series. Um, and the reason I mention it is because again, the through line towards Ahsoka taking over the mantle of she's not going to be Anakin; she's going to be Plo Koon. <laughs> and if she's the Gandalf character after the two Death Stars are destroyed, I think that's going to be interesting for Frodo. I mean Grogu. I mean Frodo. There, there's, there's some stuff that's worth that, that, that could most certainly be taking place in terms of them setting that up. Anyway, that's just my theory. I'm putting it out on the podcast. It could definitely not happen, but there's enough, uh, there's enough there that that might be interesting. They may well know by the time this actually comes out. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You probably <laughs> there's, there's, don't go too far. Actually, there's a bunch. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. There's a bunch of other Mandalorian stuff that's in this episode. Great line. In one of the very early episodes from Plo Koon, he says to one of the clones, they're in peril, they're, they're clearly going to die. And Koon says, Sergeant, why are you so certain no one is coming? And the clone says, We're just clones, sir. We're meant to be expendable. And he looks at the clone and says, Not to me. That line showcases what that is. Like, they're, they're clones, they're they're genetically created and and their growth is accelerated in order for them to be expendable if you're just judge dread all over (laughs) it's um i knew you'd say that (laughs) like they're designed because droids are programmed people are different like we're we're having this conversation in our own military currently like is it better to have a human pilot or a drone Mm. and drones can only do what they're programmed to do whereas living creatures can actually think and 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 make decisions and and weigh consequences and you need that in a in a good war to have good soldiers but if you want the expendability of drones then you just make millions of the same thing yeah. and and now they're they're people but they're expendable it doesn't matter they're they're created they're not birthed I think I've pointed it out a few times and so have you it, it is interesting to see the Jedi who so routinely are like well we don't look we don't do emotions and we don't get attached and we don't care routinely there there's these Jedi masters who are looking at these clone characters and and telling them or other people these are people to us. Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
Yeah. Yep. Even though, you know, we're not supposed to do the attachment thing, they're routinely choosing to treat, choosing to have a human emotion towards them. Well, here Plo Koon is again on the front lines going into very dangerous situations. He is leading the 104th Battalion, uh, similar to Skywalker leading the 501st. They call the 104th Battalion the Wolf Pack. And this is one of the first and most seasoned of the clone units. It's again the case, sometimes Filoni, when he's wearing jackets and such, he has wolf pack patches on his uh, jackets. He just identifies a lot with, with these characters. And uh, hmm. and we're going to move from space. One of those great opening Star Wars shots that is moving from space downward to whatever the focus is going to be. And this time the focus is on this desert planet and the wind is howling. And one of the soldiers, uh, Comet, who is commonly displayed with the 104th, says, Can anyone hear us? Come in, please. We're not getting anything over here. We're off. We must be way off. And Commander Wolf, who is inside one of the those large tanks, says, Actually, this tank is called the Juggernaut. This thing is beautiful. It's it's in the introduction. It's got these ten enormous wheels. It's this tank that holds like two or three hundred clones and uh, as it's moving through wolf says negative it is here the data specifically states it has got to be we've scanned the area three times this, and this is a wasteland and there's nothing all of our information pinpoints it is here the only reason I, I highlight wolf here is wolf ends up being an important character not only through the clone wars he will be one of the main characters in rebels Hey, Wolf! Can you believe it? Wolf! The Wolves! You got your Wolf Pack back! <laughs> yeah, they fight just like the boys. Um, another big in introduction. We're not going to spend time doing the deep dive here, but it's just worth putting a pin in this character. Again, I'm I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything that's going to come with, uh, with Rebels or his uh, relationship to anything in the future after order 66 but one real interesting thing about this clone is he's one of the few clones that rejects order 66 um he's a real interesting character he's lost his right eye in a fight with ventress and um he will at the end of the clone wars be the clone responsible for uh, a manhunt of one of the primary jedi there's a search for a primary jedi in in uh Wolf is the one who is the lead on that. So just to put a pin on that, because sometimes the clones, you know, get shuffled in and, and out, and we, we miss who is doing what. But this is an important character. Because they're expendable. They can come across that way, for sure. <laughs> well, it, I mean, is there anything we're saying there? Since Especially, TJ, since you're familiar with Rebels, and you may know of how this character plays out, with that, with that in mind, and here he is in the Clone Wars, you're going back through it a second time. Anything we're saying? Watching these for the second time, I'm so I'm I'm not really into like Band of Brothers types stories, and that's a big part of what the Clone Wars is. Like it, that part of it doesn't really get me. But something that does stand out within the Clone Wars that is intentional is is um, it's not just humanizing the clones for the character's sake, but also for the audience's sake. So drawing out some different characteristics and, and seeing seeing some of the, the ways that they behave that's different from other clones. So like thinking about who this character becomes 
and and I remembering seeing him in Rebels, like it it is really interesting to to see them grow into older people because their their personalities are so different from each other when they're older yeah whereas they're they're a lot closer to similar when they're younger because they they haven't developed enough difference yet but as they get older they get more and more sort of themselves yeah yeah he's he's one of those real uniform here yeah he's he's a commander he's a commander clone and yet later on very distinct and different i love that that's a good call Uniqueness is important, Daniel. You don't have to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Comet says, I don't know what to tell you, sir. We're getting no visuals and no recognition on the scanner. We must locate the source of the signal command. Press on. Then the the scanner starts beeping. One of the clones says, I think I found something. It's very faint, sir. Close says, That is it. Great Empire Strikes Back throwback here, where it's, that's it. The rebels are there. <laughs> it's uh, it's what Vader says when they're sending out all the probes. The Plo exits the Juggernaut. We see the crashed space cruiser. Wolf is there, and he starts describing what's happening. The whole show's substantial scoring and wear. Whenever it crashed, it wasn't recently. General Plo, the scans check out. It's a T6 shuttle, all right. Serial number seven seven five five one nine. Identifying it as this is this is a murder scene is what this actually is. The Jedi are routinely taking this role of kind of space detectives at times, but they've stumbled onto finally this murder scene of one of their friends, and Plo senses something, and he reaches down into the sand, and he pulls out lightsaber. I want the entire area clear. We're taking everything back to Coruscant. Everything? Everything. gorgeous shot by the way of, of him standing there with the the sand is kind of misty around him and he's staring at this 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 weapon the the line that whatever they said about the scoring substantial scoring and where so the scoring i might be wrong but but to me this means that like this plane was shot down mm-hmm. like it's it's not just that it it crashed it was shot down and like that is something different from what they thought happened to the person they're looking for yeah it's more that murder scene right we should be thinking that this is a deliberate um taking down right of our friend's ship right it, it is interesting just as we pointed out we don't we don't really know what where the distress signal came from or who sent it out, it's this ship, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some sort of beacon there, yeah. Which is confusing to me because you get the idea that it's been a minute since that ship was shot down mm-hmm. or crashed. Yeah. All of it, Why would all of a sudden you be getting a distress? P- perhaps I'm looking for... Maybe it took that long to get there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It takes a while to get stuff in space. I'll dig more into that because it's been... I want to say it had been like 10 years. Well, it's been... At least from, let me think. It would it would have had to have been after the clone armies had been instigated, mm-hmm. and the stepping outside of what we know so far just from this episode, Sifadias disappeared before Phantom Menace. So it's been at least ten years since he disappeared. Uh, Valorum was Chancellor as well, a- not not Palpatine. So I mean, that's it's it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the lightsaber is important here because it's not just that they've come to a murder scene and they've, they see something really important there. That This one bit of evidence is the lightsaber. And you all will know this. The, the lightsaber and the Jedi who crafts it, fashions it, makes it their weapon, this ends up being central to, it's almost an extension of their personality, yeah? Yeah, this is the one thing you don't leave home without. Right. I was trying to think, can you name a piece of equipment or a tool from any character in any film that is as tightly joined to the hero, to the character, as a lightsaber is to, you know, to their Jedi? It's not, it's not necessarily a one-to-one comparison, but in Harry Potter, you have the notion that the wand chooses the wizard. Ooh. Like it, it's That's perfect. Yep. It's, n- it's not really an extension yep. of them, I guess, because they're not creating yeah. it. But but it, it is it is essential. It it's the same idea because like the in the Star Wars universe, the Jedi creates their own lightsaber, and they 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 pour some of themselves into. It is an extension of themselves because their own force energy goes into the creation of it. Yep. Whereas in the Harry Potter universe, wand and wizard learn together oh i like that yeah and so like over the course of time the wand becomes an extension of the wizard because they've they've grown together and you can always perform any wizard worth assault can perform magic with another wizard's wand but you will get the best results from yep your own and it's it's the same idea with lightsabers the only other one that i could think of was was in Arthurian legends, the the notion that uh, Arthur is the only one who could have pulled the sword Excalibur out of the stone, or it was given to him by yeah. uh, the Lady of the Lake, depending on which version you want to get. But he was the only one who could wield that sword, allegedly. Lots of Arthurian imagery going into episode seven when uh, you know Ray pulls the sword from the snow; it flies past Kylo Ren's face and. She's the one for the first time wielding that that saber. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's something about the weapon. I hadn't thought about it just as a. I don't know if wands are considered weapons. Is that correct? They yes. can be weapons, but it's in in both cases. It's not just a weapon. It's a tool. Yeah, I was I was gonna say the it's, same yeah. thing. It's a weapon if you use it to uh, to attack, but it's also a defense. Right. Uh, it's an true? item of defense, and it's like thinking about the way that. Like you can use it to to cut holes in doors and sure, yeah. they're used it's as flashlights yeah. for in the in the <laughs> same way. Yeah, you can sense. use a big flashlight as a tool, as a weapon, or as a defense. In the same way you can these, mm-hmm. or a, I guess a hammer. I mean, it's a tool, but it can also be a weapon. Yeah. No, in one of the earlier episodes that Daniel and I looked at, Yoda is fashioning a. Uh, a crutch for a clone. Oh yeah, with his lightsaber out of the blasters. The image that came to my mind is that uh, in the Marvel universe, a lot of the heroes are associated with their one primary tool weapon: the hammer, the shield, uh, the armor. In fact, I suppose it's the case where for Iron Man, there is a "Am I my armor? Uh, can I separate myself from my armor?" thing going question mm-hmm. that works through his trilogy and it it seems like that whole trilogy ends with him finding his identity beyond the tool that he has fashioned yeah when specifically in the avenger films is it end game 
where where he really kind of makes that decision when they're stepping away from like he's signing the thing and he's really kind of stepped away from the suits. It's the third movie. The third movie he uh, he blows up all of his. Oh yes, that's right. I... But it's it's not until yeah at the end of the third movie is when he has the chest piece removed. Yeah. Uh, so the suits become exclusively a, a accessory. Like he doesn't need any part of the suit in order to live. But I don't think he ever gets away from the idea of being. I, I I think that's that's a big part of the the point of the arc is that like from the minute that he creates the suit to the snap, he is wrestling with can Tony Stark exist without Iron Man? Yeah. So long as there is a threat as big as Thanos, no. Man, I hadn't thought about this. Notice how that works for with all three of those big characters. Because Thor is going to lose his hammer, and that's going to be a big existential crisis for him, right? Of having his his hammer destroyed, and then at the very end of Endgame, um, Captain America's shield is is essentially destroyed. It's cut in half. He he continues to use it. I suppose he picks up a hammer at that point, but I wonder if there's something there. The thing with uh, that hit me in the Star Wars universe is Luke is going to lose the saber at the end of Empire, and then there's who are you, kid? He's going to refashion his own lightsaber for Return of the Jedi. Han Solo is going to lose his spaceship uh, at some point. Multiple points. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chewie, we're home. Do not be surprised when one uh, Din Djarin loses his armor. Oh, yeah. Spoiler for the when the Mandalorian loses his armor. Oh. I bet you they have so set that. That's one of those places. That it just seems like they're they're setting that up. That We're just waiting for it. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, there's such a connection there, and it's going to have to be, who are you without this shield that you've been wearing these first two seasons? Well, and they've set it up with, pause. TJ, are you, watch, are you watching The Mandalorian? I'm all cut up. Okay, excluding this week's episode, obviously, I, I won't admit, but it's set up multiple times with other characters, uh, with, with Bo-Katan and all these other characters who are repeatedly just mm-hmm. taking their helmets on and off in, in front of, like, the, the or, mm-hmm. or even um, Timothy Oliphant's character. I've got this armor, and I've found it. I think that throws throws the Mandalorian for such a loop as well. So, yeah, I, I Jeff, I agree with you. They're, they're, yeah. They are pushing toward that. It's, his, it's a symbol of his religious tradition, and what does it look like when you walk away from your religion? I wonder if that happens in any other character in the Star Wars universe. Of course it does. It happens with, <laughs> the, it happens with Luke. It's the primary, Luke, primary idea. Luke, Ben, Ray, Anakin. Anakin converts. It's a great story. It's a necessary story because we grow up I mean, this would be a big thing for... This is why a lot of these stories appeal to us. We grow up in a tradition that matters to us. We learn who we are, what what is right and wrong, what we should pursue with our one and only life. And at some point in your life, you have to take your eyes and look at it and question it and say, is this stable? Is there anything here that's lasting in doubt and processing? That's a huge part of maturity. I love that element of the Mandalorian right now. The, just that one season of them taking their helmets off and him totally questioning his faith. The thing, rewatching that one episode, the he's after after they uh, show up after uh, Bo-Katan and the the other two uh, Mandalorians show up, he's thrown off his game. He is not the the guy who's walking into a bar and shooting bad guys. He's like he he feels less confident. 
throughout the rest of that episode. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, no, me, me too. Definitely clearly preoccupied, which the fact that you can't see his face, that the physical performance of that is so clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty great storytelling. Here, though, there's the crash scene. Lightsaber is left, and that's the signature. This is this man's whole life is, is here underneath the ground. We talked about this last time, actually, with Grievous collecting lightsabers. I mean, with this, all of this in mind, Grievous having 14 lightsabers, you know, that he's holding onto in his cape. Ooh, it's like these aren't just trophies. These are... Like I possess your soul, <laughs> you know. Right. It's like a lampshade or a or like a wind chime made out of bones. It's that kind of creepy. Yeah, right. A shark it's necklace, a, right? Shark tooth necklace. It's poor Yorick's head in your hand. <laughs> kind of. Yorick technically died of natural causes, so that it's not as chilling to discover him. But yes, I guess this, this is true. We cut to the High Council chamber. Reese Windu says, Then it is the lost ship of Master Sifo-Dyas. Plus says, I found this at the crash site. Holds up the lightsaber. <clears throat> the lightsaber of Sifo-Dyas it is. Never found when he died, it was. Windu. Master Kenobi, remind the Council of what you discovered regarding Master Sifo-Dyas before the start of the Clone War. Reese Windu setting up Kenobi for some exposition here. <laughs> Obi-Wan says, my investigation of the bounty hunter Jango Fett led to Kamino. The Kaminoans recounted that it was Jedi Master Cypher Dias who ordered the production of a clone army. Yoda, without the consent of the Council or the Senate, he did this. Interesting aside there, like Yoda wants to say, hey, we were doing this, we were doing that. Here's, here's where things were, were at in the timeline of our political decisions. Windu, prior to the blockade of Naboo, Cypher Dias sat on this council until we judged his ideas to be too extreme. Close says, Indeed. He said he foresaw great conflict and that the Republic would need to raise an army. At the time, the Council rejected those ideas. Real important. I The first couple times I watched this episode, it didn't strike me that many of the Force users can see into the future, and when they do, they experience fear. That happens to Anakin. That happens to Luke. This is actually really common, and it happens to Sifo-Dyas. And Sifo-Dyas's fear leads to the creation of this clone army. Um, how you react to future knowledge really matters. TJ, you specialize in personality typing. <laughs> what is you got? You got the the skinny on. Fear of the future leading to bad decisions? You mean other than history? <laughs> <laughs> Narrowing to trying to stick to, to the storyline. If you could see the future and you can tell that there's going to be a great big uh, like republic-splitting battle, of course you want to create an army. Of course you want to work to defend things. Um, but like that's, that's one of the problems with reacting to fear in ways that don't like like this this seems to me very short-sighted like like we need to do everything we can to protect against that fear Mm -hmm. but sometimes and here's one of the problems with being able to see the future sometimes the thing that you do in order to prepare for the future that you foresee actually creates the future that you're looking for (laughs) this is part of all time all (laughs) forecasting storylines that like are you 
if you play into the fear of what that future could bring, are you actually cr- bringing about that future by reacting to that knowledge? Yep. Like if you learn how you're going to die, can you actually stop it? Or are you going to make decisions that lead to that death? And yep. I mean, reacting to your fear in this way, planning for a future that might not happen, you might be creating an army for the person that's trying to take over the universe. So I have it. That might be what's actually going on. The only thing that was going through my head towards the end of that, and it, it really adds nothing of huge substance, was like, this is the whole plot of the movie Stranger Than Fiction, which right. which I actually really oh, yes. love, just, just the notion of if you knew when you were going to die or if to some degree you knew the future, like, would you go in the opposite direction? Would you try to stop it? Or would you end up, in Harold Crick's case, steering into it? Right. So that's, I think that's fascinating. I, I have really nothing to add other than other than I think that that's spot on, and I agree. And I think the most important thing that, that this guy needed to be told before he made these terrible decisions was that fear is the path to the dark side, Yep, guy. <laughs> Come on, you're a <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> and it's not that Sifo-Dyas, it's not that Sifo-Dyas, um ends up becoming a Sith. He doesn't he remains a Jedi to to the end, but it's still the case that the dark side is working on him and he's making bad decisions. Two real famous characters have this exact same story arc. Uh one of them, TJ, you and I are gonna speak about soon, and it's Saruman. Mm, yeah. Saruman is shown the future by Sauron. And the first thing he does is he creates an army. Right. And it also happens with Tony Stark. Tony Stark is put into a dream by uh, the Scarlet Witch. He sees the future. He sees his friends dying. And the first thing he does is he says, I need to create an army. I need to create a shield that's going to protect the world. And this is ends up being a huge misstep for him. And it's, you know, it ends up uh, ravaging his uh, team. Yeah, it splits the Avengers apart, right? As well as unleashing Ultron. Yeah, thank you. Totally. Come on. Same same storyline, though. Sifo-Dyas is terrified he creates an army. You're terrified you create an army. Terrified you create an army. Sometimes being really afraid of uh, global political things and then just saying, we need to ramp up our military. That might not be the best uh, solution, apparently. But in fiction. Right? I mean, uh, this is what we're completely talking about. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Sandpoint. I wonder what Lucas is trying to tell us. <laughs> I love the idea of the force being used to manipulate fear though this is one of my favorite elements of empire strikes back is that vader knows how the force is used and how fear works for a jedi and so when he starts torturing han in empire strikes back he's doing so because he knows that this will ripple out into the universe and that luke will feel it and luke will begin to have experiences that are going to lead luke to making bad decisions He's entirely baiting him. I don't know if, um, well, actually, I do know because we're going to, there, there's some legend stuff that I'll talk about in a minute for Sifo-Dyas uh, on this front. But any last thoughts on Sifo-Dyas being moved to create this clone army? It's, it's interesting. I don't remember who says it in the episode, and I, I, I didn't have this, I don't have the script pulled up in front of me, but when they're discussing, uh, he thought it'd be good to have this, uh, this battle, this, this army in case there was a battle. And then there's kind of a moment where it's like, but hey, you know, I mean, who could have seen that coming? But eh, we know now. Like, there's routinely just this. Right. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before in other episodes. There is routinely this oversight born of arrogance. 
I feel like in the in the Jedi mm-hmm. Council where it's like mm-hmm. he, he was looking in the future because he was afraid, but it doesn't feel like anybody else is really looking that far into the future and really thinking about this stuff. So it's like, but hey, who, literally, who could have seen that coming other than the guy who used the thing that this building teaches other people to use? But, you know, fool me once. <laughs> I had not thought about this, but TJ, I would love for you to talk about this. The executive committee gets together and there's one person who is the voice uh, the devil's advocate voice who is sure. saying, th- these are all the things that might go wrong. Yeah. And then the rest of the committee says, yeah, but we don't need to listen to that. Everything's <laughs> going great. We have a We're not republic that. that has lasted a thousand years. Yeah. The arrogance involved in that, like the I- ignoring all possible danger signs is, is silly. I, I don't necessarily see the same thing in this though. Like if, if Saifa Diaz was, that concerned then he like i'm not sure that creating a secret army was the right path correct right you know so like yeah no he's overwhelmed by his fear yeah the rest of the council ignoring his fear i i don't think they necessarily and they did ignore his fear but but the reason that they were wary of his reaction was because of his plan to do Ooh. with his, to deal with his fear. That's right. Who knows what would have happened if he had stayed alive and just continued to advocate for preparation? Like the reason that he, I think they say it in this exposition. This I I know it's a cartoon. It's for children and stuff. But the the level of heavy exposition going on in this scene is just like, oh man, who wrote this? <laughs> anyway, they, they like they the council is has a problem with him because he wants to build an army. Yeah. Not because he's afraid of a future. There it is. And who knows what would have happened if they had actually, like if they had dealt with his fear instead of his plan. That's another message for today. I mean, a lot of, so the, the difference between um, conservatives and progressives is conservatives want things to be stable in the way that they've always been. And progressives want things to move and let's, let's change some stuff. And, and you can, you can get on the bad side of both of those political philosophies. Um, But uh, on the progressive side, um, we need to change. We need to change right now. We need to go, 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 go. If you're not able to pull people with you that can be a that can be a mistake one of the big i mean this is totally a footnote but one of the big criticisms of abraham lincoln right now is that he's not progressive enough in his time in terms of advocating for human beings who are enslaved in their their value as human as as human souls and yet the way that lincoln works he actually is able to take his whole culture from here to there, because here's the problem. I think that breaks down a little bit when when you realize that towards the beginning of, of his political career, when people were saying, hey, how about you say this thing is awful? It was like, no, let's not do that yet. I don't think this is that big of a deal yeah. yet. And I don't want to, I'm not going to get anywhere pushing that. So we're going to we're going to hold that back. So I, I, I actually think some of that criticism of Lincoln is completely justified. Right. Politics moving the entire messy buffoonish culture from here to there is such a tricky tricky job and the idealist in me wants to say Sifidius is entirely right you should you should go do the thing that uh, you think is is best for the sake of everyone else he ends up being a general essentially who goes to a military manufacturer and says hey we need a million soldiers can you produce these 
put it on the Republic's bill <laughs> and doesn't tell the Republic about it. That's essentially what happens, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Like, we, we need 5,000 more nuclear warheads. Could you take care of that? Don't tell anyone, though. Yeah, but <laughs> keep this under wraps. Obi-Wan shows up. Hey, this is a pretty fantastic uh, operation you got here. Yeah, when Sifo-Dyas told us that we should go ahead and charge your credit card. <laughs> Come again? Who? Get these clone <laughs> clones going. Is that now? That's what's going on here. Well, interestingly enough, it's Obi-Wan at this point who says, you know, Plo said that the Republic would would need to raise an army. And Kenobi says, Well, it's not the first time we've been wrong recently, is it? There's something you don't hear from Jedi very often. We made a big mistake. That doesn't come into the Star Wars universe vocabulary almost at all. And yet here he's like, he I don't know if he's wrong as well in this particular instance in his own assessment, but... Uh, Kenobi thinks it was a mistake not to listen to Sifo-Dyas. You got thoughts on that? Well, yeah, and that's what I was referring to with the, like, oops, we made a mistake. <laughs> Maybe we should have listened to that guy. Because now here we find ourselves in the middle of a war. Yoda says, The creation of the clone army kept secret from us. Sifo-Dyas did. How this was done, we know not. Credit card, that's how it was done. Yet now, a new piece of the puzzle we have. Perhaps clarity it will bring us. Yes. Well, they cut to the Jedi archives, and we introduce a new character who no one's going to think is amazing unless you've read the comics, but this character is just incredible. Her name's uh, Jocasta New, and she is the librarian, essentially. <laughs> she is uh, she's the overseer of the Jedi archives. Um, and she's just, it's again, just all exposition. She's very sweet sounding, though. Sweet old lady. That's it. Just to tease something, you got to see this because it's for free right now. If you have uh, Amazon Unlimited, if you have a if you have a Kindle, or if you just download the Kindle uh, device, if if you if you pay for Amazon, um, if you give your money to the only person who's making money in America right now, real life Emperor Palpatine, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> that's that's who I'm referring to. You can get this for free, or it's five bucks. It's five bucks if you get it on Kindle, or it's like fifteen bucks if you by the hardcover but the the vader comics have a scene after uh, order 66 the jedi purge has been unleashed she survives and she becomes a primary target of vader because she's one of the few people in the galaxy that has all the jedi knowledge and all the archives so it, like she has possession of all the holocrons and knows how to to disseminate thousands and thousands and thousands of years of the jedi tradition to others and if you stamp her out you kill the jedi order forever right now i'm secretly hoping that she was the one to uh save the child and that she's gonna show up at some point in the mandalorian i realize she'll be old as hell but i'm like oh now i want that to be do not be surprised if she gets referenced in that way unfortunately i, I would love that. I, I do know about her end <laughs> so oh. she won't be showing up here in the future, but she, she has a battle with an Inquisitor invader in which she goes into essentially there's an armory in the Jedi archives in which she pulls out this rifle. She takes her own lightsaber, puts it in the rifle, and it all of a sudden becomes this weapon that can uh, fire kyber powered blasts which is essentially what the death star is right so she's she comes she comes out with this weapon and, and it's death it's throwdown time 
<laughs> it's just this old woman with her shotgun, and you're not going to take her stuff, you know? <laughs> such a great I cannot scene. wait for Helen Mirren to play her in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well worth your time. It, uh, th- those Vader comics are simply gorgeous, and uh, it's phenomenal storytelling. But here she says, Our records definitively state that Master Sifo-Dyas died on Felucia. In the fifth quarter, a small skirmish broke out between the native Felucians. Master Sifo-Dyas was assigned to negotiate peace talks between the tribes. The negotiations failed, and Sifo-Dyas was killed. What became of his body? I'm afraid I cannot answer that. Any further information on this incident has been sealed. On whose authority? By the office of the Supreme Chancellor. Thank you, Madame Tacosta. Two Felucia, Skywalker, and Kenobi will go. A trail long cold, it is. Yet still lay hidden there. A clue might be. Question all who were present the day of Sifo-Dyas's death. You must. Real quick, I want your take on this, TJ, in terms of Obi-Wan and Anakin being, they're kind of buddy cops in a lot of these episodes. It's like you are sent to investigate something over there. Do you have thoughts on that? We talked about that last episode, but here it's going to take place again. And it just seems like they're they're a pretty solid pair. Strictly for the sake of storytelling, they go places together. Yeah. It might be as simple as that. That they 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 go together, yeah. What did we talk? We talked about that, Daniel, didn't we? I'm trying to remember. We did. We did. I don't think it was. I think it was a couple of episodes ago, not yeah. the last one. But it yeah, wasn't no, we. Of- I I know we did talk about this. I think maybe twice because I think it was once you and I, and then maybe once with uh, Josiah. Yeah, because we were talking about who they reminded us of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the three of us. Okay. When brought up uh, seven. Yes. Was that with Josiah? I thought so. Man, that's a that's some stuff. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, because the the one set of just TJ, if you haven't heard this, the one set of uh, cops that they struck me as is uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. It's like one of them's real emotional and one of them's a little bit more seasoned and grounded, and yeah, they're going around that's trying fair. to figure out some yeah. stuff. Yeah, makes sense. And what of the seal file? Speak with the chancellor personally. I will. To see what part in this the politics of the Senate have played. So we cut to the Palpatine's office, and uh, those who have seen the first few episodes of uh, Star Wars will be familiar with Chancellor Palpatine. But this is his first significant appearance in the bench. He appears just briefly before uh, the landing at Point Rain, but here we're going to actually have a scene and some dialogue. Palpatine says, Master Sifo Dias. Forgive me, I'm afraid I am not familiar with that name. Died some time ago, he did, on Felucia. Investigating his death we are, and yet sealed by the Chancellor's office. Some of his files were. Great misdirect here. Because I think as a viewer, I'm watching it going, oh, of course he did it. Then now Yoda's on to him, and that Yoda's pretty smart. Yeah? (laughs) Except for some reason, he continues to trust someone. Like, like there's, there's... they have a history, but there's you should look at someone who sits in that spot, that spot with a healthy dose of skepticism. Yes. Period. No matter what. If if they have that much power, 
they deserve at least a little skepticism, especially if they're boys by Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not. I looked it up because I thought the same thing. Is it Tim Curry? I think it is in this one. Okay. Like he, it's it's not consistently throughout the whole series, but he does voice him in some of the episodes, and I think he is in this one. Because yeah, I, I was that was one of the things I wrote down. I was like, man, whoever voices Palpatine in this episode is doing a killer Tim Curry impression. Right. <laughs> I think I saw his name somewhere. So it's him. It is indeed Tim Curry. Okay. Because yeah. I was gonna say that. The, the I just looked up a blanket like who voices Tim Curry or Tim Curry who voices um, Palpatine in Clone Wars uh, yeah. and and, I, and it was the guy who re- I guess regularly did it but here Tim Curry playing uh, some great villains got some Pennywise on his resume got some Palpatine on his resume it's good who, concierge who? in Home Alone two Lost <laughs> in New York yeah uh, Mr Body oh yeah. Yeah. The definitive Long John Silver, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Excellent choice, yeah. TJ and I and our other podcasts have gone on for days about how much we love the Muppets, so. I, oh, man, I... Ooh, the the devil in legend. True. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, Tim Curry. Oh, my gosh. Has a great run in Criminal Minds. Oh, sure. As well. The move from Palpatine here is to push into Yoda with questions, and he says... And what is the nature of your investigation? A Jedi matter it is, Chancellor. Add to your troubles. I would not. That is very considerate, Master Yoda. May I at least ask when Master... Uh, Sifo-Dyas. N- yes, Master Sifo-Dyas. May I ask when he was killed? Over ten years ago, it was. Well, that explains it. I'm afraid this was before my time. Ten years ago, I was a humble senator. <laughs> humble. There's the ten-year mark, though. We can kind of place yeah. it. So it, it's after it's after Episode One, um, but it's before Attack of the Clones, and it falls in that spot. Serving the planet Naboo, only my predecessor, Chancellor Valorum, would have the answers you seek. I suggest you speak with him. Very well. Thank you, Chancellor. And then there's that image of Palpatine's face, clearly focused, and he's got all the wire, all the the gadgets are going on there. It's a good misdirect, because as a viewer, you think Palpatine's responsible for all this, and he's not. He's being informed of something right here. He got some knowledge, and he's going to go follow up. And we'll get to that in a minute. Is it that he was informed that this happened for the first time, or is it he knows that this has happened and he is now being informed that other people have been informed of the thing he thought was hidden in our everything comes to the surface, the truth will out sort of yeah. thesis statement from the beginning of the episode? Is it? Well, it's. That was my take. Let yeah. me say it's both. What I meant was he is informed for the first time. Palpatine is not responsible for the creation of the clones. Palpatine uses the creation of the clones to his advantage and adds the chip. Not knowing any of the like deep dive background yeah. stuff, like yeah. only from what I've seen in the movies and the show The Clone Wars, I don't think that's true. I'm, I think that Palpatine is behind all of it. Mm-hmm. I think when I'm saying that, I'm citing the Legends side of Wikipedia, so I don't want to say that you're wrong there, because the canon side may be that he's the one... Well, how would this play out? Is 
Palpatine through fear is how are the clones created? Palpatine through fear is encouraging Sifidius to then. Oh no! The I think army? that Darth Sidious needs some kind of mechanism with which to create a galactic army, mm-hmm. so that he can be in charge of it. And so he rises up a uh, a, a faction to serve as separatists and secretly creates an army that will then serve to fight the separatists. I think the whole thing is is like he's a puppet master. He's directing Tyrannus to to do this side of the war while he's handling this side of the war, doing them both at the same time. So there's my question in terms of is Sifidius creating it, the clone army? I think that Sifidius created the clone army at the behest of Dooku, who was a Jedi at the time. But Dooku was actually Tyrannus. I think he placed the order. It was not his idea to make the order. Agreed. Okay, so at some point, and maybe this is not shown, Sifidius is influenced by Dooku to move forward with the clone army creation. Yep. Let's backtrack a minute. When Sifidius comes to the Jedi Council yeah. and says, we need to create a clone army, and they say, no, no, no. Sifidius has already been manipulated or encouraged, manipulated, pressured by Dooku to Something. do that. I think the idea wasn't his, and he brings it to the, the council to say, this is what we need to do to move forward. Mm. Or or possible that he thought of the idea to create an army, and then Dooku is like, just do it in secret. They told you no, so what? Because d- Dooku, Dooku at some point takes responsibility for creating the clone army, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Or is that the, it's at the end of this episode, it's going to say it's Dooku's fault apparently on the legend side dooku and sifidius are friends and apparently it's not palpatine but it is um palpatine's master plagius plagius or plagius who i had never seen before but looks a whole lot like snoke that whole thing was so annoying for me like the character of snoke in general but then just all the crap that went around like social media for a while like you know there's a thing where in a drawing you see a little bit of this one character and it looks as if he's received some lacerations to his face not unlike that i'm like yeah but it's not what they did and it sucks just let it just let it be that not everything is a conspiracy the only reason i bring it up is because the snoke bodies clones appeared in mandalorian recently and, the, and no, there may be true. something there. So I'm just bringing it up for, I'm actually just bringing it up for that purpose that there's a, wouldn't it be great if Filoni saved the timeline of it? <laughs> if, wouldn't it be great well, if that, Filoni saved the sequels the way that he's has with the prequels? Right. Well, and that, that, that's my whole, that's my whole comment. And I, I think I made it a, when we first started talking too. like the episodic things of Star Wars that have come out, Clone Wars and, and now the Mandalorian, they are atoning for the mistakes of the films, both original prequel and threequel. Yeah. And I think that's perfect. Here's the thing with how I think Palpatine does things routinely is it's the chaos is a ladder theory of social advancement. I don't think that he's the one. I would I would speculate that he's not the one creating instigating the clone army but is aware of it and then jumps in and maximizes it to his advantage the only thing that that wouldn't work with that is you need to get those chips in their brains so that probably doesn't work does it are the chips control mechanisms they're not specifically for order 66 it's like a radio antenna yeah basically i didn't it activates programming 
that right there it is okay well he has to be part of that then yeah yeah i'm wrong you guys are right it's a yeah like a means to an end like hey at some point maybe we can control these things and make them do something that is advantageous for us Mm. i don't think it was order 66 necessarily but i think it was at some point in time we can mobilize this army in our in our favor yeah how that plays out then would be real interesting what is what are is how is the dooku sifidius relationship working because real interesting uh and we'll we'll see this in a minute but it's it's not really completely teased out but in legends um dooku does receive sifidius's body puts it in cryogenic storage saves it and then this is this is important he takes the blood eventually of Sifidius and puts it into one General Grievous. And this mm. is one of the things that infuses Grievous with more power. The only reason I mention that is that, again, is a move that they're presently using in the Mandalorian. They're using the blood of, of a very oh, force-sensitive yeah. uh, creature to do, essentially... What do you call that? Frankenstein scientific experiments, you know? I mean, it's the cloning of Force-sensitive creatures, but... And it works because Dooku is played by Christopher Lee, who has also played Dracula, so it's just, <laughs> it's all connected. It's all a big circle. <laughs> One last thing about villains is villains are the ones... TJ and I talk about this on our other podcast. Villains are the ones who know the most and care the least, and in this scene, Palpatine's angry because he didn't know that some of the some of the things that Dooku had done. And he's going to get real mad. He didn't under, he didn't know that there were some loose ends because Dooku yeah. in a minute is going to lie to Palpatine. And so this the scene of Palpatine being angered and the wheels turning really matters here. My perception of that whole thing is that like Dooku was supposed to make Sifo-Dyas disappear. This whole thing should have gone cold Yep. A decade ago. Yep. And now Palpatine is like, here's a mess I have to clean up again. It's it a... might have revealed my plan. Thanks, jerk. Which just su- which just supports the parable at the beginning of the episode. Oh, there yep. you go. Good call. Because that's what the thing with the Pikes is and their insurance policy, which we'll talk about yep. in a minute. That's good. That was the inspiration behind my old everything you try to push down comes back up. Bang. Well, Yoda leaves Palpatine's office, and then a device beeps in his back pocket. Apparently, Yoda has an intergalactic cell phone, and Kenobi and Anakin <laughs> pop up in, a, in this little hologram. I've spoken with the tribal leaders on Felucia. They use a very ancient dialect, which is hard to understand. But from what I can make out, when Master Sifo-Dyas died, he was not alone. There was a second Jedi here with him. And the name of this second Jedi? Either I don't understand them or they won't say. It's hard to tell. This is a primitive people we are dealing with. After his death, they cremated Sifo-Dyas' body, and I'm afraid the trail goes cold there. Did you have any success with the Chancellor? Hmm, as much success as usual, I am afraid. Pointed in another direction, I am now. To speak with Valorum, I go. My, my first thought, and, and again, like it's only because my brain is trained to ruin things and and make fun of things but um everything about what obi-wan kenobi says i felt like was just sort of like a little awful yeah these these uh, primitive people are really hard to understand like oh god <laughs> it's, it's like it's the most american thing that character has ever said it's like i was shouting real loud and they couldn't understand me and i couldn't understand them it's like god why don't they why don't they speak english 
It's horrible. <laughs> That's an excellent point. I have nothing to say on that. I normally come to the defense of Star Wars characters. <laughs> Daniel will know, but but you're right on. <laughs> I also think there's a moment that backs up what TJ was saying earlier, or, or plays into what TJ was saying earlier with the idea that why are they not questioning Palpatine? Like, like they know he's not helpful. Why is there no doubt placed onto that guy? Yeah. Or at least, obviously for the arc of the storyline, you have to draw out like figuring out the Palpatine is is the one behind everything. It has to be drawn out. But but if like Yoda has been alive almost as long as the Republic mm. and and he is one of the wisest creatures in the galaxy. And if if you're going to show that the Jedi are not doing proper due diligence with who is going to become the end of the Jedi, at least let it be someone other than Yoda. Like, let it be someone who's not this, who's supposed to be the smartest character on screen. Yeah. We talked about this in another episode, which guy erased because I'm a terrible computer person. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that Josiah pointed out uh, in an erased episode was that um, twofold. One, the Jedi Temple is built on the ruins of a Sith Temple, and mm, that there is yeah. a underlying dark side taking place on Coruscant that if that mm-hmm. has influence and power. That's one. Two, Yoda will say something like, everything is clouded here by the dark side. He says that in his own perception of how things are playing out in Revenge of the Sith, it's as though his own powers are somehow limited in observational acuity. Right. The last thing that Josiah pointed out was one of the things that takes place with the balancing of the force is that when you have very few Sith and a ton of Jedi, the for the 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 dark side of the force congeals around just a couple of the remaining dark side people. You know, it's there's right. only a couple places that it can actually and so Palpatine is vastly more powerful than he ought to be if there were more people using the dark side, as it were. Um, right. And so is able to... The masking, apparently, is is one of the few powers that the character has. By the way, that is told, not shown. <laughs> and so yeah. there may there may be a storytelling problem there. But in terms of comic book guy answer, that's, that's what I got. I had read something just in passing wasn't even one of those things I was reading to like fully read it but it was it was something to the effect of of Palpatine having done something to sort of cl- intentionally cloud and confuse the minds of people around him in terms of his own appearance and and, and right. other things like that just sort of masking like he is so powerful he's able to to in in terms of clouding the the, the clouding thing that Yoda talks about that it's it's Palpatine himself who is able to use that to hide in plain sight which which is super interesting if, if that's true and, but again I, I I should have clicked on it to, to dig deeper into it but there's something about just evil itself the deceptive quality of evil I think they're they're trying to place that here that uh, at its core evil often masks is deceptive in nature and that would materialize as a power or, or even just there's evil hiding in plain sight at times and in, in political things yeah. and bureaucratic things like like in the case like a character like nurse ratchet in one flew over the cuckoo's mm. nest like she's a villain not in like a mustache twirling cigar sure. chomping sense but she is a villain in the sense of she's just doing everything by the book like there is a there is a, a, a banality mm-hmm. in the evil of of 
just following the letter of the law. She's got right. a white nurse outfit. How bad could she be? Pretty bad, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> I rewatched that the other day. Um, if you are prone to being depressed and in the middle of the worst year of your life, don't watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a couple days to recover. Nobody does depress you movies like the 1970s. The 1970s oh are, are real good at bringing you down. That, that's very true. And in the 80s, it turns around and everything is just like cocaine-fueled <laughs> excitement. <laughs> I rewatched Wall Street the other day, which I loved. Just loved every minute of it. But that's a, that's it, man. You don't like Wall Street? I've made it through half of oh, that movie four no, times. On, and then I'm man. like, this is, I hate oh, this. You're just, <laughs> oh, that's, that's unfortunate. In the same way that I couldn't make it through Wolf of Wall Street. Like, it was just too much for me to, it was just too much, just human sadness. Fair enough. Very well done. Very well done. But you gotta go into it, mother shit. I'm gonna sell you on this. You gotta go back into to watch Wall Street as a father son story. Just look for the father son story. That is what the movie is. I don't know if you got into the the Martin Sheen part of Wall Street, but it's it's fantastic. No, I did oh, not see that. Brother, give it, give it, get to at least give Martin Sheen a chance. Once you get to the elevator scene, all you gotta know is I just Jeff just said I have to make it to the elevator scene. Because you're going to be crying. Because right. I know you. You're going to be crying. You're going to be crying at that elevator scene. Well, we did add a professional movie crier to my right. uh, to my uh, credentials at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Prove it. You're among friends here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we cut to a very regal penthouse in the middle of the city of Coruscant. Apparently, when you are no longer chancellor, you do, you do quite well. Lorem says, It's been a long time, my friend. What can I do for you? A file sealed by your administration. The Jedi Council has come across. The subject of the file? Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas. Sifo-Dyas? When I was Chancellor, I sent him on a mission to deal with a flare-up in the Pike Syndicate. The Pikes? A powerful part of the Spice Cartel. Their criminal activities had allowed them to almost completely control the production of raw spice used to create a powerful drug. We were facing a full-scale war underneath the surface of Coruscant. Knowing of his expertise on the underworld, I contacted Master sifo to stabilize the problem. Introduction here to, again, a new part of the binge. Uh, we need to talk about spice trade, because this will actually be a huge part of the Star Wars underworld, of smugglers, of bounty hunters, uh, the drug traders like the Pikes and the Huts. Um, any thoughts here on just that introduction? I think it's really interesting and worthwhile when we see any parts of the Star Wars universe that are beyond just Jedi using the Force. Um, that's why I love the movie Solo. That's why I enjoy Rogue One as much as I do. That's why I've been loving The Mandalorian. Anytime you get to see what this universe and world are like apart from Apart from the thing we all already know, I think that's so fascinating. Yep. And, and and Coruscant to me feels like 1970s New York. Hmm. It's just dangerous all the time, and like even it's you know it's like there's the clubs that even the cops don't go into because they know like oh we're not going to that. Like I, I think that's I I it just it's such great world building. You don't want to sell me death sticks. You want to go home and rethink <laughs> your life. <laughs> that's all I could think of when you were setting up 
throughout your whole thing setting that up, all I could think of was was you don't want to sell me any death sticks. <laughs> Maybe the only good line in that movie. And even then, oh, is it good lo- though? I love that is line. It good. Oh, I laugh every single time. You guys are are just cold hearted. It's funny. <laughs> Is it good, though? Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> the two thoughts that I have about this scene is, one, is that the only, like, how short was uh, Valorum's tenure as chancellor? Mm-hmm. Because if he remembers exactly who Saifa Diaz was and he only sent him on that one mission, like, what, obviously, this is exposition, but that that really stuck out to me. is like, Saifa Diaz, oh, yeah, I sent him on this very relevant mission. That would be front page news if one of the joint chiefs of... The U.S. military was killed, and the assistant to the president was also killed and lost. You know what I mean? Sure. In some foreign yeah. world. But to your point, that's how I felt, too. It, it, was, it felt like it was, oh, yeah, during my administration, I believe I sent someone off to do this little bit of business. This character feels like a one-term president. Yeah. yeah. Like he didn't get much done. I mean, he he gets a vote of no confidence moved against him in 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 the Phantom Menace. Just very quickly, so it, it seems by a fourteen yeah, year old, to, you know. Yeah, right. yeah. He is he is Jimmy Carter or or George H W Bush. Like he got in there, but just really didn't do enough for people to think. Yeah, give that guy another chance. Sure. But to your point, TJ, I think you're right. It's not shown that this really is a monumental event. Right. Well, and and they. Like we find out that they intentionally hid it. Like it, like the the event that he's remembering, it had to be secret, or else people would lose their minds about it. Because oh, what he was go. doing yep. was making a deal, trying to broker a deal with the Colombian drug lords. That's it. This is what's the uh, Tom Clancy movie that this is or book this is? It's uh, it's clear and pr- present danger. If you've seen that. I love Clear and Present Danger. You guys got it. Give it a chance. It's the only one of the Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movies that I really like. But it's 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 really good. It is the president trying to stop drugs pouring into his country, and then he starts doing shady business. Right. And then he, and you then don't he negotiate with it. terrorists. Yeah. Until Except you do. Except for when we do. <laughs> in this case, it's you don't send in a uh, a squad of soldiers to go assassinate drug cartel lords. Because sometimes drug cartel lords fight back. Every time. <laughs> yeah. We don't even know what the plan was. Like, we only know what we're told in this. And, like, the the point was to try and negotiate peace with with the Pikes, who are, like, the, the fact that they control, they almost completely control the production of raw spice. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's like... Like one family being entirely in charge of all production of cocaine. Yep. That's huge. Yep. And especially in a world that, in a universe that has multiple planets and, and like the, the scope of that would be a really, like the Pikes must be very, very, very powerful yeah. to be in charge of that. I imagine that this this comes into play not only in film, but in our world as well. If we watch the Godfather trilogy, the, you know, the Corleone family, they move from this one neighborhood to their influence moves into the Senate and their oversight becomes very clear that they're, they, they have finger holds in Hollywood 
and then there the cities they control in Vegas and and it moves into the sit in, into the Senate in uh, Godfather Two. In this, in the Star Wars universe, the Pikes are going to be central to some of the stuff we see in Solo that you set up the mm -hmm. the Crimson Dawn stuff. Um, obviously, the Huts control massive amounts of the galaxy. There's a whole region, as it were. I mean, if you imagine in America, if you imagine that, you know, the Southwest was controlled by one family, that's essentially what the hut region of the galaxy looks like. It's it's this area that the Republic doesn't have oversight. Um, but the Pikes are, they're not, they're, they're in the Outer Rim, which is the Wild West. The Pikes end up, you're exactly right. They oversee this entire drug trade, but they end up being influential in the creation of the Death Watch, which we'll see here soon. And the Death Watch is going to become the Watch, which we see in referenced in the Mandalorian. Um, and Death Watch is going to be huge in terms of some of the the stuff that takes place uh, with Darth Maul here in a few episodes. They control. Uh, this is actually a fun fact. They control the flow of spice from Kessel to Coruscant, and they use smugglers, freighter captains, to move spices. And one of the best characters of all time in any film ever is going to be involved with that drug trade. In 12 parsecs. He does it quick. No less. Or he shortens the distance. That's what it actually is, isn't it? Sorry to go off on a nerd rant there, but I got I mean, I got really into well, the pikes. Oh, I'm sorry, what was the theme of this whole <laughs> podcast? I, think, I don't think we need to apologize for that. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> I was going to say, it's kind of why, that's why we're here. Know of this. The Jedi Council did not. The Senate committee assigned to the matter feared that open discussions with such a criminal element could legitimize their activities and give strength to opposition leaders within the bureaucracy. Secrecy was our only choice. I did not pay attention to that line at all. Mm. But that's the same line that Yoda uses at the end. Two very untrue beliefs Yep, just stated as a fact. And it's the case that that's the way that Palpatine has been functioning the whole time as well, is secrecy. This is all about secrecy. And it comes back yep. to the proverb that everything's going to get exposed. Man, I missed that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's the case that one of the things that I think that Lucas has a form of populism that ends up being we want government exposure. We want all the things that are, we're a democracy. The people have the power. You need to expose as much as possible. Otherwise, you have real shady business. It's just functioning democratic government thrives on freedom of the press, freedom of speech, being able to expose everything that could possibly be exposed so that the electors of government officials have knowledge to make wise choices. Yeah. Here's the downfall of the republic. It's in these, these pockets of secrecy. Thinking about modern politics a little bit in at least in the US like and and trying to to filter in this story secrets aren't the problem motivation for the secrets are yep that's a great that's a great line the reason that they didn't want people to know that they were negotiating with this with the pikes was because people would be upset about them negotiating with the pikes whether or not that was a good idea and they might destabilize the bureaucracy 
if that secret got out. Yeah. It's getting being and, motivated by fear there. Right. And power and control. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about power and control. It's not necessarily about like sometimes national security requires secrecy. You don't want the enemy to know what your plan is or else your plan won't work. But when your secrecy is about power and control, this is this is one of the things about about like we could debate what is his name as Snowden all day long. Sure. We could debate whether what he did was right or not. His his it seems like his approach was that it's better that the the people know all of the secrets of the NSA than than not know. Right. It's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe the work that they're doing, it's actually better if active terrorists within who have infiltrated US society do not know that their cell phones can be tracked. Yeah. Maybe it's better that we are able to find that information without everyone knowing that it's possible. Maybe not. There's a new level there is Snowden takes a position where he's the one who gets to determine what gets released. How much stuff did Snowden not release? He kept back and said, this is what I want to control for the future. Perhaps he has insurance policies, for example. Right. Right. To circle it's all back, about power and control. To circle back to Wall Street, which we mentioned earlier, one of the great lines from Gecko is the most powerful commodity I know of is information. Yep. And there Ooh, is that's a good. Come line. on, you gotta watch that movie. In a this is one of the the real challenges for a democratic society on exactly this front is finding ways to make as transparent as possible everything that goes on in your government. Right. Powerful people love to demonize, love to create an enemy. This is all that McCarthyism is. It's let me mm-hmm. manufacture something so that I have more power. Oh, no, that's a state secret. And we need state secrets so that we can defeat the enemy. Right, Right. yeah. So it feels like what we're saying is secrets maybe are the are not the problem. It's. It, I feel like what we're saying is how you protect those secrets is the problem. That's what... That's what dictates whether or not you're doing something wrong. like And and why you're keeping things a secret. Yeah. And notice how Palpatine's play is. It's to create two armies that are war with each other. And so everything can be a secret because clearly we're in a pan-galactic war. Right. And so I need maximum amount of authority to defeat the other side. Or it's or really it's just I need, no matter no matter what side wins, I will have maximum authority. Yeah. Which, which makes him the, I think TJ said this a moment ago, it makes him the ultimate puppet master. Right. Yeah. When you're controlling all of the puppets. Yeah. Both sides of the puppets that are warring against each other. Yeah. If you controlled Bert and Ernie. That's it. You're the one in charge. Yeah. See? Yeah. You, you run that street. You guys will know this, that I'm as close to a pacifist uh, as you can get. But this person needs to be executed every time. There's a Game of Thrones line that's something like, all they want is bread and their family to be happy. And then you put that one person in into the system who wants to oversee it all for themselves and their own toxic ambitions and just their, their, their lust for power. The authoritarian personality is just not acceptable (laughs) you don't say don't say you don't throw that guy on where does napoleon go after he gets kicked out of the country he goes to an island somewhere and gets Uh, elba yeah 
going to die a lonely death there. That's. I was going to say he goes to the Waterloo uh, water slide, but that's a that's a different uh, that's a different take on that character. Water slide. I'm kind of frustrated about this right now. So move on. About Napoleon. About authoritarians who everything up in your culture <laughs> oh did something happen i bought a newspaper the other day and apparently i think this is a good place for us to to pause we're going to pick up the rest of this episode next time as with all podcasts this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far far away the music is by john williams samuel kim ludwig gorenson and the great kevin kiner uh, you can find our binge list online and you can share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. Anything, anything else before we, we kind of sign off? No. I think, I think we've done it. He's Daniel Mothershed. Forgive me, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that name. Many thanks to the TJ Wilson. Open discussions with such a criminal element could legitimize their activities. <laughs> Glad to be here. I'm Jeff Cook, and... We're meant to be expendable. You know why? Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. (laughs) In great service to the Republic, you have done. That kind of worked better than the last one. I don't have anything to say on the next one.